1: Good afternoon listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. That's education by the way, that is public in purpose and outcome. It's also public in access. It's open to To every child, every parent, every teacher, regardless of their background, their ethnic background, their religious background, the money in their bank accounts, they have a right to a public education. We pay for it, they should have it. Uh, We also believe that public education should be publicly owned and controlled Public-private partnerships are just not good enough and that it should be the only education system that is publicly funded because it's the only one that can be accountable, publicly accountable. Well, we know this is not the case. We know that now only about 60% of our children are in public schools getting the wonderful education that they offer and are the private sector have been like a cancer on the body politic and on the education of the nation. We have a a press release this week, press release 677, which will be on our website at www.adogs.info. And this afternoon, I'd like to take you down memory lane a bit we can learn a lot from the experience of people in the last 50 years. And I assure you the dogs have been there and done that. And this is our press release. Independent Gonski body. Jobs to buy out the state school boys and girls? Question Mark. State school lobbyists have done an exceptional do- job in recent months in exposing the gross inequities, inefficiencies and national stupidity in current educational funding arrangements. Their MySchool data showing funding inequalities between public and private schools has led them to call for new negotiations over Gonski funding and the revival of his proposal for an independent body to administer such funding, and the report of this is in The Guardian and I've given you the, um, the reference there. Dogs should warn them. Been there, done that. So-called independent bodies are never that. They consist of representatives and numbers of people. Private school interests will make sure they have the numbers and the politicians and their private school mates will make sure that state school representatives have a price. Status and careers are the carrot, vilification the stick. Now, how do I know this? In 1973 the Schools Commission was expected to take the politics out of state aid to sectarian schools and introduce a genuine needs policy. Initially, it did the job. It made some very interesting recommendations. But in fact, it did the job of washing down the state aid issue so well that state school representatives graciously grabbed the few crumbs on offer to state schools, stayed mum and then enjoyed the status and the careers. From the very beginning, the Schools Commission was skewed towards private school interests. There was never any genuine needs policy, any more than the Gonski recommendations are genuine. Because remember, no school will lose any money. And no school back in 1973 lost any money. And I assure you, they got a lot more. And the the Catholic Education Office in those days, dear listeners, played exactly the same games that they're playing now. They gave money to the wealthy schools and they were a law unto themselves. So in those days, no school lost any money and the wealthy schools were rewarded again and again for their greed. There were representatives of private schools like Peter Tannock, who later became the chairman, and he was responsible, and so was Father Martin and others, only to their sectarian base. And Peter Tannock has, of course, been rewarded by the Pope for the work that he did for his um, cause. He had a cause and he fought for it. Now, the state school representatives in the beginning were outnumbered. And they were also hand, hand-picked and it didn't take long to make sure that they were badly compromised. When finally state school representatives issued dissenting reports in 1984 against the outrageous favouritism to the private sector, the commission's job was compromised. It was supposed to wash everything down and suddenly people were writing dissenting reports. So what happened? It was abandoned. Now, consider the story of one person, a lady called Joan Kerner. She was a strong state school supporter until the possibility of power and a political career beckoned her. And she made it. She became the Premier of Victoria for a short time, the first woman to uh, to make it in many ways in politics. And this was a good thing but she received a poison chalice uh, and she sold the state back and she passed that stolen that that poison chalice I'm sorry on to jeff kennett she started to close our state schools to balance the books and jeff kennett continued the job with great gusto now when She was a state school teacher turned parent in 1970. Joan Kerner assisted in the organisation of large political demonstrations of state school parents and she became an accomplished public speaker in her cause. She was remarkably effective. You have to give this lady her due. And she was very much in those days attracted to the state aid issue of 1971 and she was persuaded to become a signatory to the dog's high court writ. But she later regretted this and attempted to have her name removed and in so doing held up the court case for some years. She did get off, but by the way she was never exonerated from the costs. In 1973, Colonel was selected by the Federal Minister for Education, Kim Beasley, Senior, from a list of nominees as a representative of state school parents on the Schools Commission. He did his homework and he worked out who would sell out the easiest. She did not disappoint Minister Beasley or her fellow commissioner, Father Martin, who was the representatives from the Victorian Catholic Education Office in those days. And she claimed that Father Martin, her fellow commissioner, persuaded her to take her name off the High Court challenge. Now, how do I know this, listeners? I don't want to um, speak ill of the dead, but how do I know that um, she, she said this? I know it because Anne O'Brien wrote a very interesting book called Blazing a Trail Catholic Education in Victoria nineteen sixty three to nineteen eighty uh, in nineteen ninety nine and that is said on page one hundred and forty three of that book. So that is my reference. I'm not I'm not talking off the cuff here. If you say these things then you have to back them up. Kerner also organised a change in the state aid policy of the National State Schools Organisation, AXA. Uh, The state school organisations had um, a state aid need policy and she changed it to a needs policy. Now, how did she do this? Um, She used her influence in the uh, parents' organisations And she took them along to an annual VIXO conference. First of all, she changed the no state aid policy to a needs policy in the Parents Clubs of Victoria. And then the next objective was to do it in VIXO. Now, VIXO, the Victorian Council of State School Organisations, had started the DOCS back in 1967. It was very strongly anti-state aid organisation, although uh, it did have amongst its um, executive members of the Labor Party. And Margaret Wilshire, who at that time was the pre- president of VIXO, when she looked down at the conference, noted faces that she'd never seen before. And uh, she suddenly realised that uh, Joan Kerner had brought her parents' club's people in and had stacked the meeting. Margaret Wilshire was a remarkable person, and she stepped down from the chair to speak in favour of the retention of the VIXO no state aid policy. But Joan Colonel was always a numbers person, and she won the day. So ALP policy became VIXO policy at that time. Listeners, this is how it's done. And this is how the private school people, the DLP, have always done it. They're still doing it. In many ways, you could say they've taken over both the Liberal and the Labor Party. But Joan Kerner from the State School Parents Club had also placed her name, as I said before, on the list of plaintiffs in the Dogs case, but she applied to get off it. She was put under pressure uh, by uh, Father Martin and others, and she gave into to that pressure. But somebody else who was on the Dogs, case, on the dogs um, list of plaintiffs was Bill Hartley, And I want to say here that through thick and thin and he was put under tremendous pressure to get his name off the dog's uh, case, Hartley didn't give an inch on this policy. Hartley was a man of principle. He believed in the uh, no nuclear policy policy. Uh, He believed in keeping the uranium in the ground, which had been Labor Party policy that Hawke changed, and he also believed in the no state aid policy. And he paid the price, a heavy price indeed. But it is these people of principle that make the difference historically in history, Uh, and I think you have to give them credit. Uh, He was cast out of the Labor Party for his stand and he lived the rest of his life in political exile. And Kerner was rewarded and she made it to the Premier of Victoria in 1991. But kerner has gone and so has Hartley um, and I'm not sure that it was worth it. And the dogs are still around. Joan Koerner joined the socialist left faction, which in those days was very, very active they got a tremendous amount through of the old Labor Party policies into the Victorian Labor Party. And we have a very important person here, a 3CR still, Kevin Healy. He was part of all this and he has his story to tell. But um, she joined the socialist faction of the Labor Party in the late 70s and Margaret Wilshire, who I've already talked about, who was the executive officer from the Victorian Council of State School Organisations and after she'd become the president, she was a close friend of Joan Coxedge, who is also well known to our 3CR listeners. And she told um, Joan Coxedge what happened at a very special meeting. She'd come into the Socialist Left faction of the Labor Party. Joan Kerner had because she thought that was the best opportunity to become a candidate in a safe seat. And at a crucial meeting, again, in the socialist left faction of the Labor Party, Joan Kerner had the numbers. Uh, my, my, um, my information is that her, her son, who was at Melbourne University, brought in some of the students from Melbourne University. She had the numbers and she took it over. So dogs say to current state school supporters, stay genuinely independent like the dogs have done. Don't um, expose yourselves to the pri- and, and keep on exposing the private school interests until you can take them over again, like our predecessors did in the 19th century. Stay well away from politicians and bureaucrats and private school representatives bearing questionable gifts. Politicians are the froth on top, they're our servants and we have to think of them that way. They're never our masters. State school supporters will have won when the media and the politicians are quoting your facts and your figures and they're putting your objectives into action. When the politicians start saying that it is the right of every child to a public education in this country, you'll know that you're on the winning ticket. But don't take their questionable gifts and sit on their panels unless you know that you've got the numbers and you've got the rhetoric in your corner and that you can win it. Uh, and that's The Dog's Advice. Now, we'll have a bit of a break for some music and uh, then perhaps our listeners might be interested in what's going on in New South Wales. And if we've got time, uh, I think that uh, Dale would like to tell you a bit more about Joan Coxedge's story of what went on in the 1970s. And next week, people might to like like to think about what Kevin Healy had to say. This information, by the way, is contained in the book Contempt of Court um, which is for sale here at Three C R. Well, listeners, Rob's not with us in the studio today. Um, he's um, otherwise occupied, but um, in in Epworth Hospital, but we're off to uh, interview him. So, over to Rob. Well, hello, Rob. Uh, thanks for coming on, even though you're uh, a bit disadvantaged at the moment. But, um, oh, that's
2: all right,
1: Jane. I'm looking at... Trevor Coble's latest production: Funding increases for Victorian elite private schools far exceed that for disadvantaged public schools. This is interesting well, Trev-
2: stuff. It is very interesting. Tre- Trevor Coble, somebody always does, which is um, when he says something, he backs it up with evidence. Yep. Uh, when he says something, he says this is the reason I'm saying it. Um, unlike various private school lobbyists, they just say things and sort of wave their hands about the vibe or sectarian. This is all that's. So Trevor Coble the opposite. And Trevor Cobalt has had a good look at Victoria. Um, he's from Canberra as part of the Save Our Schools Network. But in his press release, as you say, funding increases for Victorian elite private schools have actually far exceeded that for the disadvantaged public schools. So why? Why is the question? Well, before he asked the question why, he, asks, he, he puts forward why he's saying what he's saying.
3: Mm.
2: And basically, for Victorian schools there's been a dramatically favoured increase for the elite private schools over the most disadvantaged schools in recent years. Now, total government funding, like per student, in a high-fee, exclusive private school, has increased by nearly three times more than the most highly disadvantaged public schools. And that's not historical stuff. That's actually between 2009 and 2014. But the average funding increase per student for the 35 most advantaged private schools was 27%, compared with only 10% for the 37 most disadvantaged public schools. Now, how has this come about? Well, there's been a couple of things, and all you can really put it down to is the weakness of our political masters. Like the first thing that um, our new premier did when he got into office, the first thing he did was he gave all private schools irrespective of need or otherwise, um, locked in 25% state government funding, not federal, state government, 25% of what a public school would get, considering nothing to do with advantage or disadvantage, nothing to do with rich or poor. He just gave them the money.
1: Sweetheart deals, they're called. It was a sweetheart deal. Sweetheart
2: deals. Well, of course it was a sweetheart deal because, um, well, there's a lot of private schools out there that are run by the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church had lobbied heavily for the Labour Party against the Greens in the lead-up to the election. Well, the same so we thing can is... You a sweetheart deal, but you can call it quid pro quo as well. If the, if the bishops of the Catholic Church um, want to make sure that the Greens don't get in, um, they will, and they have, supported the Labour Party, which won that election, so therefore they were paid off at the end quite happily.
1: Yeah. I'm looking at the same document here and I'm told by Trevor that government funding per student for many elite high-field private schools has increased by over 30% in that time, while several disadvantaged public schools had their funding cut. Yep,
2: yep. I mean, but if you go to the edges, that's what you find. Now, the large disparity, like, according to Trevor, was due to the failure of the Victorian government to increase funding for disadvantaged Mm -hmm. public schools while boosting its funding for private schools, which is what I'm talking about. Just yep. that automatic 25% increase, bang, off you go. You just get it whether you need it or not. Now, the funding increase the Australian government, by the way, and this is the Australian government, not the Victorian government, mm. was actually doing exactly the same thing for a private school and exactly the same thing for disadvantaged public schools, um, which is at the same time. But for the Victorian government, which actually accounts for about 80% of public school funding, increased funding for the most disadvantaged schools by only, get this, 6%. While at the same time, it increased funding for the elite private schools by three times as much, on average, about 18%. Extraordinary.
1: Extraordinary. Uh, Yeah, I'm looking at another really interesting figure. That um, Mm -hmm. I mean, with these private schools that that are so-called religious, uh, they do have a view of charity. They uh, sometimes uh, talk about charity and how good they are to the poor. But Mm -hmm. on average, seventy-six percent of the students in the elite schools were from the top quartile, the top, you know, the most uh, wealthy people in the community, and and one percent. 1% 1% from the lowest, so they only think 1% of the poor are worth their, uh, their charity. Yeah. But in disadvantaged schools, 62% of students have been from that lowest quartile and only 3% yeah, from the top. And they that's talk about wealthy back. state schools, yes. Mm. Oh, that's
2: ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, people, people forget about the aggression, the horrible aggression of pity. Uh, You know, the the horrible aggression of the idea of education being this charitable act.
1: It's not as much.
2: If the government gives these elite, you know, it's just absolutely hell, it's a right. Uh, It's got nothing to do with charity and pity. But you see, that's what the wealthy private schools do. Wealthy private schools put them forward as these wonderful institutions that are nice and kind and generous and helpful. What they do is they take the state government money and wander around being charitable, pitying the poor people who might happen to be clever, and giving them scholarships. But the scholarships aren't kindness, scholarships are pity, scholarships are these charitable acts, these poor children who are given scholarships to wealthy schools. But the money, the money that they're using to do this, to subsidise these places, is taxpayers' money. It's not their money. They're not being charitable with their money. They're not showing pity with their money. They're showing pity with our money, which I find disgusting. Well, so as you say, Jane, and you're right, yeah, and as I yeah. say as well, education is a right, it's not a charity. Yes. Well, what... Any country that's stupid enough to think that education is a charitable act um, is about to go, I don't know, they'll just explode and disappear in the 21st century.
1: It's very sad business. Uh, yes, it's, the whole thing is, is well, it, Let's say we just have to fight on Uh, there's no discharge from this service but uh, what is happening in Victoria with the so-called Labor government is exceptionally disappointing because um, the Andrews government has abandoned the goal for Victorian public schools that they be funded at the 95% of their SIs by 2019 and has refused to commit to funding its share of the last two years of Gonski Funding. Uh, it's yeah. despite the fact that even the NAPFund government had agreed to do so. So that means that oh. there's going to be almost a, a billion lost from state funds, I assume. Uh, let's forget about the Commonwealth there's this
2: government. Whole, there's, this whole, there's this whole idea. Now, Birmingham puts it forward, and various other liberals and neoliberal relations put it forward. If you throw money in education, it's wasted money. You don't need more money. And they can cite... The example of, well, we've thrown lots of money in education in Australia, and we're still falling behind in international comparison benchmarks. And here, Trevor Codwald has said, just very, very simply, Trevor Codwald said, the reason why is that they're throwing the money at the wrong place. The future funding of the most disadvantaged schools in Victoria is highly problematic, even beyond next year. But the money they're throwing in education in Australia, they're throwing it. At private schools, they don't need it. That's the problem. If you take the money away from the private schools, you'll save a lot of money. If you throw it at all the public schools, oh, yes, that, that'll be a revolution, but i tell you what, the political will of the Australian people to have a successful public school system in that case, will, um, well, the political will will go through the roof. Yes, I think you you will have the vast majority of students in state schools. Those people who aren't in state schools will be paying for the privilege of, you know, getting themselves out for whatever reason, mainly religious, and I think they're quite entitled to do that. But just do not be subsidised by us. And then the political and social will to have an excellent education system will be comparable to those countries which value education as a right rather than some sort of charitable privilege.
1: I think you're right there. I also think that the Andrews-Molino uh, government yes. are very unwise to take any state school vote for granted uh, in the current climate. The people yes. up in New South Wales, right. Baird, Baird and uh, Percoli, are certainly not taking the state school vote for granted and they are, they are pouring money into the public system right now, 200 and Two hundred and forty-nine million, I think it is. Uh, we'll talk about this later in the program, but uh, I think that Andrews and Molino have um, taken us for a ride and have taken the state school vote for granted, and uh, they are very unwise indeed.
2: Are be very unwise to do that?
1: And I'm very especially grateful.
2: when it comes to the especially when it comes to the inner city.
1: Yes, um, yes, yes.
2: I think this is a point where people like the Sex Party and the Greens have have a lot to gain in this situation.
1: I agree
2: I mean, with if that. A, they, if they develop an effective education policy that not only not only resonates with um, upwardly mobile inner suburban people who want to send their child to a state school for all sorts of good reasons, but also resonate with those people on the urban fringe who just don't have the state schools because they haven't been built, um, people want that commitment from government. They expect that commitment from government, and I know it's been a couple of generations since that. Australian governments of all sorts of been funding private schools but there is this idea and it's very strong in the Australian culture that a state school round the corner that is essentially okay is actually the right of an Australian family to have a good state school. Now you, you might want to buy out of it but you don't want it to disappear. I mean it's been a few generations but I, I, I do feel that the Australian people believe that that's just fair. And if we don't have that, then there is, in fact, a political price to pay certain for Daniel Andrews and Victoria.
1: Well, I think you're not wrong there. And I think that perhaps Daniel Andrews and Molino should be looking at what their New South Wales Liberal Party brethren are doing. Look, Robert, it's been great to hear your voice and um, to know all that right. you're battling on there. Well. And thank and you And I'm, very I'm much.
2: still doing research and, and I'm still keeping abreast of various things and hopefully for the benefit of our listeners, giving them some information that they won't get anywhere else on the WWWs or in other mainstream media. But you can get it, of course, on 3CR, 855 on AM dial and podcast as well on the Dogs Program.
1: Yeah, many thanks. Yes. You're welcome.
0: Public Interest Before Corporate Interests Action Group. Why is it so difficult to find a home? pay rent, pay mortgage, why is it so difficult to afford childcare, get a decent education for the kids, have so much trouble gaining access to public hospitals and healthcare, finding a job, let alone a secure, well-paid one, to be able to pay for gas and power bills or even put food on the table. Remember when we could do all of this on one wage and an eight-hour day. We invented and built, discovered and taught. We made ships, planes and cars. We are among the world first in social, health, scientific and arts initiatives. Alas, no more. The three big parties are funded by corporates and therefore dependent and cannot honestly represent public interest. We are looking for like-minded people who would be interested in making significant actions to inhibit corporate power by pressuring politicians, writing public petitions, initiating public forums to inform and also give people a voice, organising demonstrations, standing a political candidate, investigative journalism and corporate vulnerability analysis. Contact PIBSI, www.pibci.net, www.pibci.net. PIBCI.net. Email Info at P-I-B-C-I dot net P-I-B-C-I dot net Phone 0439395489 P.O. Box 20 Parkville Victoria 3052 Public Interest Before Corporate Interest If you would like to help put public interest Before corporate interest Contact Pibci.
1: their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government.
0: I'm the proud of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education.
2: Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public school in the world.
0: It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out.
3: Our education is not for profit. Our education
0: is not for profit. You're listening to the Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR.
1: Well, we've been talking about what's been happening in Victoria. And we've been talking about what could happen to the uh, state school lobbyists because they have been very vocal of late and quite effective. And uh, we have been mentioning what's going on in New South Wales. Uh, Here in Victoria, we're a little bit isolated from uh, New South Wales, which has always had a much stronger public education system than down here. And uh, the government up there realise that they've got to do something about the state school lobby. They're dealing with a stronger department. Uh, They're dealing with people like Boston, who is outspoken, and they're dealing with people in the inner city who are even more politically active and determined than those in Melbourne at the moment. So they are giving a funding boost of $219 million spread across 2,000 New South Wales schools. But uh, let's listen to the uh, reporter who introduced this. I think his name is Eric Bagshaw on his view of the fact that education is a big political issue in Australia at the moment.
4: It's the debate that's worth $3 billion. For the past three years, state and federal governments have been duking it out over the future of the nation's schools. Does more funding equal better performance. A plateau in performance is not good enough at a time when we're putting record levels of funding into Australian schools which has grown by some 23 percent over the last three years. The situation has now come to a head after the federal government pulled out of the final two years of the so-called Gonski funding agreement. Gonski redirects funding to the schools most in need with the highest number of disadvantaged and poorly educated children. In the 2016 budget, the federal government confirmed it would provide $3 billion less in funding than the states negotiated with the Gillard government four years ago. The move has left state political leaders exasperated. New South Wales Education Minister, Adrian Pickley, has always been a strong supporter of Gonski. He says the argument that money doesn't matter in schools is wrong. But his Federal Coalition colleague, Education Minister Simon Birmingham, argues that funding the full six years of Gonski is unsustainable and that record levels of funding for a decade have not yielded improved results. In September, a draft report from the Productivity Commission confirmed Mr Birmingham's argument. It found that despite a 14% increase in spending per student over the past decade, our performance in national and international assessments had barely improved. In some cases, it's slipped. Labor and the New South Wales government have argued it's too early to tell if the Gonski funding has changed outcomes. They've promised to continue lobbying the government for the extra $3 billion over the next three years.
1: I find it very interesting that a Liberal government in New South Wales, with a Minister for Education who is national party is stronger on public education than a Labor Party Premier and a minister down here in Victoria. One thing that is, is, is perhaps of interest is that um, Andrews and uh, Melino both have a Roman Catholic upbringing, although Molino does send his children to state schools and good on him. Piccoli also has a Roman Catholic upbringing but he is aware of what is needed in a big country town and what a big country town needs to survive is a good education, a good public secondary school. So uh, Piccoli is perhaps more akin and more listening to what people are really wanting in the electorate and uh, Baird, uh, likewise... So you have here a very interesting uh, commentaries coming in on the uh, Sydney Morning Herald uh, announcement of this $219 funding boost in New South Wales. Now, please note that this is only funding that is being given and it's probably taking from Peter to pay Paul within the public education sector itself. But what are the people who are commenting on it saying? Darcy from Sydney, and this is October the 20th at 8.21am, you can see Mike Baird and Adrian Piccoli are doing the best they can with state public education, but that's difficult with a federal government who has cut by two-thirds the funding recommended by Gonski. While the federal funding concentrate on $50 worth of tax cuts to big business and the wealthy Australian public education is going without. Our children are our future and they deserve far better than what this Liberal Party federal government is dishing out to them for their education. Very interesting, isn't it? As well as that, somebody just sent in a little statement. Can't wait to see what Toowoomba Public School's going to do with its $93. Mm. So some schools are getting a pittance, particularly beside what the wealthy schools are getting. Here's somebody, here's somebody else who has this to say. Hey, Eric, that's a great news. The government's decided to spend money to increase educational resources and educate the kids. Thanks for sharing. And then someone else says, There are no losers. The schools that had their money redirected didn't need it as much as those that were granted the extra funding. And I hope no one who sends their child to a public school would deny the right of a child at a more needy school to get the share of the funding necessary to lift them to national standards. Anyone who thinks that way should have their children in a privately funded institution receiving none of the badly needed resources governments should be directing to our inclusive public schools. And then Mimi had this to say. So where can I find the stats around government adjustments to private school funding? This $200 million has been spread across the public schools. They've taken some from the wealthy schools to give to the poorer schools. That's what they've done. And uh, there isn't too much fuss about that because in the public sector, uh, people actually have a conscience. One wonders, however, about the private schools because as soon as there is even the suggestion of them losing $1, they become so savage Listen, as I can remember over the years, um, people in the uh, education unions, particularly in the Australian Education Union, uh, when they have gone uh, the way of questioning how much private, public ed, public's, uh, funding of private education is happening, and when they have questioned it, they have come to me and said, I can't believe how savage these people are, even if you say that you will take one dollar from them Uh, and I suppose my view is that it's only the wealthy that know how to cry poor efficiently and effectively Mm -hmm. but uh, we'll have a little bit of a break and um, then we're going to have a little bit more history (laughs) you're on the dogs program 8.55 on the am dial and I promised you a little bit of history earlier on Uh, in 2007 there was an interview with Joan Coxage about what had happened in the Labour Party in the 1970s such that we are now at the stage in 2016 that we have a Labour Party in Victoria that gives millions and billions of dollars to the Catholic Education Office in sweetheart deals and keeps our disadvantaged children in our state schools disadvantaged. It wasn't always the case and the Labor Party was not always the Labor Party it is now. There is in fact still a very big elephant in their room and it is state aid. Mm. And it's the reason why people vote for neither the Liberal or the Labor Party in these later days. But Dale's going to read you an excerpt from this interview that Joan Coxedge did about the antics she and Bill Hartley and her husband Seds got up to
0: in the 1970s. Thanks, Jean. Okay, so imagine uh, this is being read in Joan Coxage's voice. My husband, Seds and I were mates with Bill in many ideological battles. I remember great parties at his place in Eltham. During the Vietnam War years, we were having a fundraiser at his place for a draft resistor. A cream-coloured Commonwealth police car was parked outside Bill's residence, but his house was perched on top of a steep hill, so the resistor got away through the undergrowth. We laughed. It was all good fun. That's what's missing today. Laughter. It was part of our lives in those days, wasn't it? Now I don't see anyone laughing. Pompous, powerful people can be brought undone with laughter. I can't see Rudd laughing. I worry about people like that. For a while, the socialist left in Victoria was an aberration. We concentrated on positive policies, and there wasn't much emphasis on getting parliamentary jobs. There was excitement, and we believed that we were going to achieve something. But as we got bigger, we found that some people on the socialist left ticket would get elected then immediately retract our policies. The rank and file felt the parliamentarians let them down so badly. They had stayed with the left because they had good policies on state aid, Vietnam, abortion rights and uranium. Many felt betrayed and left the party altogether. Then in 1984, Hawke and the Centre Unity Faction forced the four right-wing unions back into the Victorian Labour Party. With a membership exceeding 100,000, these unions boosted the Centre unit the centre unity's factional basis the unions at the centre of the row were federated clerks shop assistants ironworkers and carpenters and joiners they were closely associated with the with ba Santa maria's national civic council an organisation prescribed by the victorian branch this National Civic Council was the brainchild of Archbishop Mannix and a sister organisation to the Democratic Labor Party. The DLP had split from the Labor Party, giving preferences to the Conservatives for decades. They tried to keep Labor out of office until Whitlam changed the policy on state aid. Nine pragmatic left unions refrained from voting at the state, s- state conference on Saturday 20th of April 1985 and the NCC unions were admitted. Alex Hutchinson from the Musicians Union played the last post on his clarinet when they entered the conference on the Sunday. Some overripe tomatoes were thrown. That was when the expression, tomato left, entered our lexicon. The socialist left split. A few of us tough nuts remained as the hard left, trying to maintain a semblance of Labour principles. The sellouts were called the marshmallows. The New South Wales branch now controls the whole of the Australian Labor Party and it is very right-wing indeed. I think Lionel Murphy was the last of the left in New South Wales. You know, he said it was just dreadful. Every time he settled one thing, they would attack him on something else. Very nasty. He was hounded unmercifully. So was Bill. I've had my share too. Like Ray Nelson, I was involved with margin... Jurevic and his battle with the Ustasha escapees. A group of members of the socialist left set up a a committee for democracy in Australia, met with the Attorney General Lionel Murphy and gave him a swag of documents on the issue. I was also involved in the publication of two works dealing with the subject, One, Two, Three, Ustasha Are We, and Rooted in Secrecy. I only ended up Getting elected after a very dirty campaign, a filthy campaign, they told lies and did everything they possibly could to denigrate everything I stood for. They love to do that, the media, and they can do it so efficiently. Someone walked up to me the other day and said, you know, you really are quite nice. Looking back at the issue that started it all, federal intervention in 1970, it was our opposition to state Aid lay behind it all. And now when you look at what's happened in the last 40 years, it's damn hard not to say, I told you so. It might have taken 40 years to achieve the decline in public education, but once governments agreed to fund private church schools, it was a stab in the back for free universal education. With consumer choice, user pays and economic rationalist policies like private-public partnerships, any pretense of egalitarian ideals has gone out the window. If you want to know more about what happened in 1970, have a chat with Kevin Healy. He was there inside the travel lodge on the 14th of September in 1970.
1: Well, thank you, Dale. Um, and that was the voice of Joan Coxhedge nearly 10 years ago and uh, things have not been changed. But I think that we do have to remember why it was that we started to give state aid to private schools again. And it was when the DLP got back into the Labor Party and Whitlam compromised. It's always been a compromise. There are some principles, dear listeners, that you cannot compromise on. And the state school supporters and the public school people need to remember our history so that we don't make these mistakes ever again. The only way forward for public education is no state aid position. We have to take over the private schools that we are now funding and we have to rationalise them and we have to have a genuinely independent sector as we had before state aid was given in 1969. But that's enough from us for this week. We are certainly here still battling. There's no discharge from this service and 3CR is still here battling and uh, we are the independent voice of media for Melbourne. And our website, if you want to find out more about us and what we are saying here and our press releases, you go to www.adogs.info. But it's bye for now.
5: I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, here ten years dead I never died, says he Says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says, I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I. Joe